I'm uh, Mark Tier, the founder and CEO of Black Spectacles. Uh, we took a couple of months off to rework ARE Live, and I'm so pleased and so excited uh, to be back at it with all of you. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to re uh, review several PJM, also known as project management um, mock exam questions, with architect Thomas Tumulty. We're going to go through questions that cover PJM knowledge and skills related to understanding the intricacies of architect and consultant agreements uh, and how these agreements relate to AIA contracts and more. Um, so it should be a great session. I have a bunch of great stuff to share with you. Um, so if you're joining uh, us for the first time, uh, Black Spectacles was the first comprehensive online learning platform for the ARE back when we launched in 2012. Um, and as a leader in ARE prep, we've spent the last three years rebuilding all of our learning content and platform for you. You can be sure that you'll pass the ARE the first time. Uh, what makes Black Spectacles unique, uh, in addition to us being the only ARE prep provider to have partnered with AIE National back in the day and to have had all of our ARE prep courses approved under NCARB's approved test prep provider program, is that we've adopted the principles and standards of learning science to rebuild all of our learning content and platform. That means that you can trust that you're studying the right topics for the exams and that you're gonna retain that information so you can walk into the exams with swagger, uh, knowing you're gonna pass the exams on the first try. You know, we used to be known as sort of the first online uh, provider for the ARE backed by the AIA. Then we became known for our industry leading practice exams. And now we're known as a one-stop shop for passing the ARE the only resource you need to pass the exams the first time. And of course, we back that up with our ARE guarantee. So um, really excited to have you all here and to be able to share that with you. I'm also excited to announce something brand new. Uh, we're going to advance to the next slide here, uh, which is our referral program, uh, where you'll receive a $50 gift card of your choice uh, for every friend that you refer. And your friend will receive a 10% discount off their membership. So this is something brand new that we're introducing um, there's a whole collection of different gift cards and so forth that you can uh, you can choose, you know, Starbucks and Uber and so forth. So lots of options there. In addition, uh, something also brand new is we're offering a referral program for firms. Um, and all you have to do is introduce us via email to leadership at your firm. And if they sign up, uh, we'll give you a $250 gift card. Literally, you can earn $250 from sending one email. Uh, super easy. So here's how it works. Uh, all you have to do, and it, the information's right here on the screen, uh, is send an email to sales at blackspectacles.com and introduce us to your HR leader or your managing principal or whomever you think makes the decision in your office about uh, providing uh, test prep resources, and we'll follow up. And if your firm signs up, we'll send you a $250 gift card of your choice. So open up your email right now and send a quick intro note to sales at blackspectacles.com and your firm leader, and we'll take it from there. If you want to uh, learn a little bit more about the referral program, visit blackspectacles.com slash referral and start earning rewards today. So big, uh, big update there in terms of our referral program. For our next ARE live session, um, we're going to be covering the PPD exam, one of the beasts as you all know, um, we're going to be doing that on November 16th of 2023. Um, so I'd encourage all of you right now to type in blackspectacles.com slash podcast and, uh, and register for that right now. Um, and again, as always, we always uh, send out the, um, the recording afterwards. So even if you're not able to attend, we'll send you the recording if you're registered. Uh, we just dropped the link in uh, right here uh, so you can uh, register. 
Today we're going to be doing, we're kind of doing a throwback. Uh, we're going to be engaging exclusively on our online ARE community. So head over to community.blackspectacles.com um, and uh, go to uh, right at the top. You'll see we've pinned a thread right there. And everyone who posts in that thread today will be eligible to win a free Black Spectacles t-shirt. Literally, all you have to do is go over to community.blackspectacles.com and say hi. And boom, you're registered. Um, but that's also where we're going to be answering questions. So if you have a question as we're going through this today, post your question there, and we will answer uh, your questions there. Um, and of course, don't forget to stay tuned until the end of the episode to see if you've won. All right. Uh, I think that's it for all of my introductions. Looks like uh, Bryn has said, hello, hello. How are you? Uh, Labcad111. Uh, that is the awesomest name in the whole world I've ever seen. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, who else is going to uh, log into our community and say hello? If you haven't done it yet, hop over. Oops, somebody else is. Who is it? Uh, someone's typing in. Um, so it should be fun uh, to chat with all of you. Um, oh, hello, Heather, uh, from uh, tuning in from uh, Central Arkansas. So Again, type in community.blackspectacles.com, grab that first post. Hey, Shannon uh, from Colorado, grab that first post, say hello. And then, of course, any questions you have, drop them in here. Our community is a place where you can, anytime, 24-7, you can ask a technical question as you're studying. And we have licensed architects who tune in and receive those questions. And when we receive them, we look up the, you know, look up that question and, and get you a good, competent answer. Um, so it's great to see um as I don't know how to say that, as Godoki uh, from SLC and Perez uh, saying hello. Good to see all of you. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I think I see Kristen Barrero. What's up, Kristen? Um, good to see you. Uh, is that Kristen? That Kristen Barrero that I that I know. That's awesome. Good to see all of you uh, tuned in. So with that, um, I'm going to introduce uh, our uh, honored guest today, Thomas uh, Tumulty. Uh, in addition to working with us here at Black Spectacles, Thomas is an architect based in New York City. He's also an adjunct assistant professor at the New York Institute of Technology. Um, he's a marathon runner. Uh, he took the exams two years ago, and I think it's important to note that he's a marathon runner, which means he's got uh, he's got a lot of toughness, which probably helped him get through those exams uh, two years ago. Uh, so with that, uh, Thomas, I welcome you and uh, hand over the mic to you. Great. Thank you, Mark. And thanks. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to walk through some questions today. Um, so I, I know a lot of you are actively studying for this exam, and I'm so happy that you're joining today. Um, and just a quick disclaimer, uh, the, the, everything we're going through today is just for educational purposes. Um, none of this content is from the actual exam. It's just custom questions working through the AIAC 401 contract. Um, so as we go through these, um, we'll definitely be fielding uh, questions, so definitely feel free to jot them down in the chat, but I'm going to dive right into this and we'll get started. So an architect has hired a structural engineer to work on a university laboratory. The architect is utilizing the AIA C401 standard form of agreement between architect and consultant. When the laboratory reaches substantial completion, the owner decides to move in equipment and use some of the areas when they notice the slab begins to deflect when fully loaded. After further investigation, the architect finds that the backgrounds issued to the consultant included the laboratory equipment layouts. How should the owner proceed? Um, so I'll give a second or two just for you guys to think about that, meditate on it, and then we'll look through the answer here.
Okay, so let's go through this together. And if you guys have questions, definitely uh, feel free to ask. Um, so the correct answer is actually gonna be A in this case. Hold the structural engineer responsible because they did not accommodate the equipment in their load calculations. Um, so in the question, it's always good to kind of dissect these questions, right? Like what are the keywords that they're being used and what are the hints um, that they're giving us that are kind of our clues to work with? Um, the big thing here is that the architect did provide the layouts to the consultant, right? So it was in the backgrounds, it was available for them to see. Um, and if there were any questions about it, um, it should have been raised um, to the architect to be further clarified. Um, but because that wasn't the case, um, there is a little bit of um, dropping the ball here. Um, this kind of falls under a very specific article in the contract. Um, so this is the C401 Article 2, and that's under the um, consultant's responsibilities. So the, and I'll read straight from the passage just so um, you guys know where it is. So it's Article 2, 2.1. The consultant shall perform its services consistent with the professional skill and care ordinarily provided by professionals practicing in the same or similar locally under the same or similar circumstances. The consultant shall perform its services as expeditiously as is consistent with such professional skill and care um, and the, for the orderly progress of the project. Now that falls under also this kind of standard of care discussion, right? Standard of care also applies um, to architects and it's very clearly um, outlined in the other contracts. Um, the B101 and A201 are other really important contracts to read for this exam. Um, so definitely read through them. And I always recommend read through these contracts in their entirety, like cover to cover. It is worth it. Um, it's definitely gonna be uh, something you need to be familiar with. And try to think of like hypothetical situations um, as you go through that can relate to some of these things that are being described. Because contracts, they're a little bit dense, right? They're very kind of specific language and they're a little bit hard to dissect. So think of a situation that it can apply to. And in your own professional work, try to see situations um, that you can kind of um, say, you know, that is a very specific situation that I know exactly where to go to in the contract to resolve it, right? Because we're always gonna be referring back to the contract as kind of the foundation, foundation by which we respond and really to inform um, how we respond to certain things. Um, so the standard of care, I just wanna throw out a really, one of my favorite definitions of it that I think is really clear. So the standard of care is a legal concept defined as the level of skill and diligence that a reasonably prudent architect would exercise in the same community, in the same time frame, and given the same or similar facts and circumstances. Um, so it's really setting up a standard, right? Hence the name, but it's something to compare to from a legal standpoint, right? If an architect makes a, a mistake, we have to have a baseline to compare it to, to know that that is a mistake, right? So that's why we have um, this setup. And an architect should be cautious about raising that standard of care, right? So for example, the architect may agree to the inclusion of statements that might be like, you know, um, we'll be delivering this project with the highest standards or similar language. Uh, we have to be careful that in saying things like that, we're not actually raising the standard of care, right? By promising or, or guaranteeing something. Um, so definitely something to keep in mind um, while working through these questions. And then on to our next question. So maybe uh, Thomas, before we jump over, um, oh, sure. I'm looking in our community right now, I don't see any questions related to that uh, that particular uh, mock exam question. Uh, if anyone has one, uh, don't hesitate to jump over to uh, where we're having a discussion 
uh, community.blackspectacles.com. It's the first post pinned at the top. Hop in there and drop a question in there. Uh, but I don't see any right now, so if you guys have any others, feel free to do so as we move along. But uh, uh, I guess go right ahead. Okay, great. So on to our next question. So an architect has hired a landscape architect under the C-401 agreement. The owner has provided the lot description that includes the property line extents and siting of the building. The consultant requests from the architect a topographic survey that can be used to study drainage patterns and inform the placement of landscape elements. How should the architect respond? Um, so we have a few options here. The owner provided adequate information, so this is not required for the landscape architect to fulfill their task. Uh, the, this request is reasonable, and the consultant should reach out to the owner directly to obtain the survey. Or C, the architect should request a topographic survey from the client. And D, the architect should request a um, topographical survey from the client and bill the consultant for the cost incurred by the owner. Okay, so let's go through this together, um, just in terms of like, what is the best protocol? And a lot of these contracts are all about that, right? It's like, how do we take the proper sequence and who is kind of, who is liable in certain situations, who is responsible for performing tasks? And most importantly, what are the proper channels of communication, right? We have to be really sure that, you know, a consultant, you know, should they be talking to the owner? Should they be talking to the contractor? In most cases, no, usually it's through the architect, right? That because they are contracted directly with them. And if we see that the C401 is mentioned, we know that it is that it's a, an arrangement where the consultant is with the architect directly. So the correct answer here is going to be the architect should request a topographic survey from the client. And this is going back to a very specific section in the contract, uh, specifically section 2.3 of the C401 agreement. Um, so the consultant shall recommend to the architect the appropriate investigations, surveys, test analysis reports, and the services of other consultants that should be obtained for the proper execution of the consultant's services. The consultant shall review the information provided by the architect and shall promptly notify the architect if the consultant needs further information to perform its services. So this is definitely something that's within reason that they can uh, request, um, but it's something that the architect can then go to the client with and explain the reason for it. Um, some of the other options here are just not kind of the best, um, the best choice, right? The owner provided adequate information, so this is not required for the landscape architect to fulfill their task. The landscape architect is saying they do need more information, right? So they can't really um, dismiss that, right? It has to be addressed. So A is a little bit too um, absolute. It's kind of just saying, no, we're not going to do that. Um, but C definitely is more along the lines of what we would do in a situation like that. And then B, this request is reasonable, and the consultant should reach out uh, to the owner directly to obtain the survey per the contract. Um, that communication should happen through the architect. And then D, the architect should request a topological survey from the client and bill the consultant for the costs incurred by the owner. Um, that's also incorrect, right? Because we are going to have these situations where we don't need more information. And contractually, the owner is obligated to provide information about the site itself, right? So we can rule that one out as well. Um, one thing on just like general test taking strategy, process of elimination is really key. Um, because it takes a lot of time to kind of vet all of the answer choices. And it can be really effective to say, I'm going to look for um, three of the incorrect answer choices first, just rule them out immediately. And then even if you can narrow it down to two choices, um, then it concentrates your energy on just those two, right? Because some you're going to say in 30 seconds, like, I know that's wrong, right? I'm, I'm not even going to dwell on that. 
Um, so just to keep in mind. Okay. Awesome. Um, I don't think uh, we have any questions in the community right now. Uh, I do see one that just came in about question one, but we'll circle back to that at the end. So uh, okay. thank you for posting. Uh, I can't, I'm not sure how to say your name, but uh, Kay Shepro Design, thank you for posting. We'll, we'll catch that one in a little bit. Go right Sounds ahead. Good. Sounds great. So uh, question number three. So the mechanical engineer for the project is working towards their design development set when the structural engineer flags that one of their ducts is too large to penetrate a beam at the depth noted in the structural drawings. Happens a lot, you know, sometimes there are conflicts and we have to discuss them and kind of work through what are the options to move forward. The mechanical engineer insists the deadline is too near to coordinate this item and ignores the structural engineer's request. So we have these situations sometimes where things get a little bit into the realm of just realistic situations, right? That we have to address through the contract itself, right? We have to kind of go back to the section and see what was agreed to in order to push back. So there are two weeks before the DD submission. How should the architect advise the team to proceed? So we have a couple of options here. Um, the mechanical engineer is justified and this should be coordinated in CAD documents based on the time constraint. B, the architect should advise the structural engineer that this should have been flagged sooner and delay the DD submission as needed. C, remind the structural engineer that they are required to coordinate with other consultants. And given that there are two weeks until the deadline, this leaves adequate time. Or D, the mechanical engineer is not required to coordinate with the structural engineer. This is the role of the architect. So let's go through this one together. So we have a lot of options here, a lot of different scenarios that we can kind of pursue, but there's really one that is gonna be most reasonable. And that's gonna be C. So remind the structural engineer that they are required to coordinate with other consultants. And given that there are two weeks until the deadline, this leaves adequate time, that's more than reasonable. And that is also per a very specific section in the contract. If you refer to C401 section 2.4, the consultant shall co coordinate its services with those of the architect and other consultants, right? So it's not just with the architect, they are also supposed to work with the team and facilitate the process. Further in that section, it goes on to say, um, the purpose of that is to avoid unreasonable delay in the orderly and sequential progress of the architects or other consultant services. The consultant shall coordinate all aspects of its design of the work uh, for this portion of the project with the work designed by the architect and other consultants as necessary for the proper coordination of the project. Um, so definitely a good one to keep in mind in terms of we can really ask our consultants to, if there's resistance to really move uh, forward um, for the project. And you know, we mentioned earlier some of the key terms uh, that are in the body of the question. So here, you know, they mentioned it's a design development set. So, you know, if worse comes to worse, there is a little bit of time to capture these things in the CD documents. But we have another issue where um, it's a tight deadline, right? We're kind of down to the wire here. And it would be kind of a good thing to coordinate before CDs, because if this doesn't work, you may have to lower a ceiling. You know, there might be additional things that have to be taken into account that would have a, kind of a domino effect on the rest of the design. So it is very important. And, um, and our timeline, right? So we mentioned two weeks, definitely that's more than enough time for a consultant uh, to incorporate um, a change like that. 
Okay, so let's go on to our next question. And I just wanted to note real quick, um, just in terms of like, as you're working towards your, you know, through your study journey, really do a lot of practice questions and like do a lot of practice exams, you know, Black Spectacles, we have um, all of these different practice exams. They're really great to go through and try to do one, like as you get close to the exam, like one per week, you know, just like really do as many as possible um, because it's one thing to read these contracts. It's another thing entirely to apply that knowledge um, to a very specific scenario, right? Because there's a lot of gray areas. Sometimes it's, there's no clear answer. Sometimes you have to choose the best of the worst, you know? So there's a lot of different ways of interpreting these. Alrighty, on to our next question. So the architect notices that the stone consultant hasn't issued their commercial general liability policy with the proper limits. When the architect approaches the issue, the stone consultant says they aren't required to carry the monetary limits the architect is referring to. How should the architect respond? Um, so we have a different, different options here. So A, give notice that the architect will need to terminate their services. B, provide the section of the contract that outlines insurance requirements. C, since the contract doesn't include insurance requirements, reach out to the consultant's insurance company for additional information or the consultant does not need to disclose this information, right? So we kind of see all different options in terms of like, yes, no, not even included kind of thing in the contract. Okay, so let's, let's walk through this one together. For this one, uh, actually, if you guys want to put down your guess, oh, I see, um, yeah. Okay, great. You guys are already ahead of me. Okay. You're putting in your answer choices. So we have BBBs. Okay. Okay. Any other guesses on this one? Okay. Wow. We were all aligned here. Okay. We great. We have like 15 Bs. So that is correct. Yes. Provide the section of the contract that outlines insurance requirements. And this is also in a very specific section of the contract, section 2.8. The consultant should maintain the following insurance uh, for the duration of the agreement. And they go through, it's like 2.8.1 all the way through 2.8.6. And it very clearly lists uh, commercial general liability, automobile liability, workers' compensation, employers' liability, and also professional liability, and also with the coverage amounts, right? So there's a lot of information that the consultant can fill in that might be very specific, uh, you know, to this project in general. Okay, any questions on that one or any of the ones we've, we've gone through? Yeah, we do have a, a couple of questions here, uh, Thomas. Uh, I'm going to start with Kevin, um, who's over in our uh, ARE community. He says, um, I'm curious where, so he goes back to question number one. We have two questions for question number one. Uh, okay. The first question, uh, Kevin says, I'm curious where there is any language um, in the question that described the architect providing the adequate equipment information. It seemed to me that the fault could have landed on the architect for not providing the equipment information to the structural engineer. Curious uh, what you think there, Thomas. Yeah, that's a great question. So absolutely, that is information that can be provided. But the biggest thing is that we need to have a clear understanding of what's being in that space. Like what is the layout? What are kind of the, 
the understanding of the type of because uh, the type of equipment because sometimes what will happen is that you may not even know what the equipment really is yet right you might just know that it's a laboratory you might just know that it's generally like a mechanical room and in schematic design or design development you may not have the full spec for it yet it might just be a little bit of a placeholder so there can be this kind of this evolution throughout the um, design process where we're kind of starting conceptually of course and then each um, each deliverable, every submission that we do, SD, DD, CD, is going to add another layer of detail, right, to kind of build on it. Um, so at this point, um, you know, we can definitely, ideally, we want to have that information available. But in case we don't, if there's still a little bit of a gray area, um, at the very least, we need to have the, the space where it is provided. And we can have definitely a, an estimate on the loads that the, the engineer can work to but the key is that the engineer has the information available to ask the question right because they see it on the layouts they see the name of certain equipment and as part of like the um you know obligations to clarify things along the process they should ask that question then of like okay what are the loads here um, that we should be designing to and then the architect can provide that if let's say there was another scenario where the let's say the engineer didn't have the proper let's say there was just like a code mistake right like let's say they they weren't following the code correctly and there was an issue and they had to rip out part of the project and redo it um in that case that falls on them right because they didn't interpret the code in the correct way but let's say the architect provided the wrong code right at the beginning of the project, everyone's kind of meeting. They're saying, you know, we're working to the IBC. And um, it turns out there's a more local code or like um, a very specific code that they had to be working to. Um, but all this time they weren't. Then that actually falls on the architect, right? Because they are responsible for providing the correct kind of family of documents and codes that the team should be working to. But the interpretation of their own, the consultant's own scope of work, that falls under, you know, their responsibility. Awesome. Uh, thank you uh, there, Thomas. I tried to, Kevin, I tried to put an answer uh, in, the, in the area community. So I think I did a good job, <laughs> my best job of interpreting uh, what you said there, uh, Thomas. Um, we did have one more question about question number one, which was uh, from uh, Aslan, uh, who said, in the first question, although the structural is ultimately responsible, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, I guess, sort of a, a slight variation on Kevin's question. Why didn't, basically, uh, although the structural is ultimately responsible, why didn't the owner hold the architect liable, seeing that their contract is with the architect and and not necessarily with the structural engineer? Um, I guess maybe there's sort of a maybe a, a little nuance uh, to how those contracts kind of work uh, that might be helpful to to talk through, Thomas. Yeah, so definitely the um, so that is that is part of and actually that's a good um, that is a note I wanted to make today is kind of the. The obligations kind of shift from the consultant, like the consultant's obligations to the architect, mirror the obligation, the obligations the architect has to the owner. And I want to read one part of the, the contract of the C-401 that's really important for that, that describes it. So to the extent the provisions of the prime agreement apply to this portion of the project, and the prime agreement is going to be the agreement between the owner and the architect. Um, mm -hmm. 
the architect shall assume towards the consultant all obligations and responsibilities that the owner assumes towards the architect. And the consultant shall assume towards the architect all obligations and responsibilities that the architect assumes towards the owner. Kind of a little bit of a tongue twister of like, you know, you're, you're dealing with uh, the owner and the architect and then separately the, the architect and the consultant. Um, but essentially, as I was mentioning, like we're mirroring those requirements. Um, so in this case, we have this kind of almost like this tiered um, arrangement where if there is a mistake that happens, um, in this case, the consultant didn't pick up those uh, drawings, um, then that's going to still fall on them. But if we have a situation where there's like, let's say there's a project delay because of this, right? And that has like a certain amount of, um, you know, the owner is not happy, there's costs associated, costs associated with that, then that gets really kind of tricky, right? Because then that's more of like the architect as a unit with their team is delaying the project, right? And in that case, you know, that might actually fall on the architect in, in that situation. But in terms of the, um, in this case, like the liability, um, if those slabs are deflecting and they have to be taken out, then the engineer is going to have to really address that. That's going to, because the, in theory, the architect did provide enough coordination um, documents to, to flag that issue. All right. Beautiful. Well, uh, let's see here. I think we did it. I have a few things I need to share with all of you before we jump off. Uh, sure. first, I'm going to go uh, to the last slides. Awesome. Yeah, for uh, and we're going to share a couple of links here with you, which we've already shown, but I want to make sure you all uh, see these. So first, uh, we're going to be covering the PPD exam uh, at our next ARE Live podcast on November 16th, which is really only about two weeks away, a little more. So go to blackspectacles.com slash podcast to sign up. Looks like last time I looked, we had already 50 people signed up for it. So um, I'd encourage all of you to sign up because um, we will uh, we'll send you the um We'll send you the recording afterward, even if you're not able to come. So I'd encourage you with that uh, to sign up for the next podcast. I mentioned uh, the update to our products. I guess the key thing I just want to make sure you all know was we've done a lot of work over the last three years rebuilding all of our learning content and platform so you can be sure you'll pass the ARE the first time. And I think the key thing I'd love you for you to walk away is what makes Black Spectacles unique um, is that we've adopted the principles and standards of learning science. Um, and what that means to you is that you can be confident you're studying the right topics for the exam and that you're going to retain that information so you can pass the exams on the first try. Um, you know, we, we may have been known in the past as the first online uh, provider for the ARE. Then we were known for being backed by the AIA and then our uh, industry-leading practice exams. And now we're known as the one-stop shop for passing the ARE, uh, which we back up with our guarantee. Um, I want to tell you about our referral program and then talk about the t-shirt giveaway, so don't leave yet. Uh, we announced today um, our new referral program. Um, it's pretty simple. Uh, there's two ways you can uh, can earn some uh, a gift card or a discount for yourself. First of all, if you refer a friend, uh, you'll receive a $50 gift card of your choice. Uh, for every friend that you refer. So if you re refer 10 friends, that's 500 bucks uh, in gift cards. Um, and your friend will get something too. They'll receive a 10% discount off their membership. So everybody wins there. The second thing though, that I think is really exciting is we're offering a referral program if you refer your firm. Um, all you have to do is introduce us via email to leadership at your firm. And if they sign up, we'll give you a $250 gift card. 
uh, literally all you have to do is send an email and you can earn $250. All you have to do is email sales at blackspectacles.com, introduce us to your HR leader or managing principal um, or whomever you think makes the decision in your office and we'll follow up. And if your firm signs up, we'll send you a $250 gift card, $250 gift card of your choice. Um, so to learn more about our uh, new referral programs, visit blackspectacles.com slash referral and start earning rewards today. I mentioned that we would be engaging exclusively in the ARI community and that everyone who posts in the thread is eligible to win a free t-shirt. Today's lucky winner of a, a Black Spectacles t-shirt is Kevin. Uh, Kevin will reach out to you via email to get your size and shipping information. Thank you uh, to you and to everybody else um, who uh, participated and engaged in our community. And remember, um, uh, our area community is not just for ARE Live. It's really there for you as a resource, a free resource to ask any kind of questions uh, you might have. We have our licensed architects on staff um, who will answer any questions that you might have. Um, I want to thank uh, Thomas for... Um, putting together these questions and uh and presenting today it's uh, it's an honor to work with you um and um you know i want to also invite all of you to stick around for a few minutes to take our survey uh, and share any suggestions or feedback that you may have uh, we read every word that you write and use all your feedback to tune our next episodes but thanks for watching <laughs>